0: inerrant and infallible word, Revelation 15, starting at verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just And true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke, from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Revelation 15. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it and now in the consideration of this most important passage. Verse 1, we have the seven angels and the seven final plagues. I saw another sign now the last one he saw in heaven was in chapter 12 if you recall the great wonder in heaven the woman about to give birth to a son the spouse opposed by the red dragon that heathen empire of Rome this is another wonder of the same kind it is called great and marvelous the sign of great things things to be marveled at because now they're not signs of the establishment of the kingdom of antichrist of his rule and reign and pushing the woman out into the wilderness now comes the destruction of the antichrist the destruction of the beast the destruction of the harlot his kingdom burned with fire by the nations of the earth great and marvelous things The ruin of Rome. Gill says, it is a very great one. It is expressive of great things, as the fall of Babylon the Great, or the judgment of the great whore, and the great glory of the church and kingdom of Christ. This great and marvelous sign had seven angels with the seven last plagues the fullness all seven he says and their final the fullness and the finality is coming in these seven last plagues the end of all judgments no plagues remain after these in fact this word last is where we get the word eschatology from that means the study of last things what's going to happen at the end that's eschatology These are the eschatoi, the final ones, the extreme, those last in place or time, according to Thayer. But notice, not just seven, not just the eschaton, the last ones, they're also filling up the wrath of God, he says. In them is filled up. Now the Greeks had a word, teleo, It means to cause something to come full course, so that it's completed. If you ran in a race, you would have a finish line to the race, the telos. When you come to the end, the race is over. You see what he's saying? God's wrath will come to its finish line with these seven vials. Freiberg says of this word, teleo, As completing something or bringing it to an end, to conclude, to complete, or in the passive, as it is here, of duration of time to be over, to be ended, to be finished. Who is completing this? God is. It is completed by him himself. The wrath is the thing God acts upon. He fills it up. He brings it to an end. He finishes his wrath in what these vials describe. I note then this doctrine. These seven plagues describe the telos, the end, the completion, the eschatos, the filling up the finality of God's wrath. These seven plagues describe the telos, the end, the completion, the eschatos, the filling up of divine wrath. After which, what do we expect? Anymore? Is there some post-eschaton, something after the last, something after the fullness? You know there are people foolish enough to say yes. The Dutch annotations say the seven last plagues, namely, which God shall cause to come upon Antichrist's followers in this world. For after the last judgment, the wrath of God shall abide upon them and upon all wicked men. How long? Forever. That's why these are the final. They describe this series of events leading to the last judgment, and that's it. The seven vials fill up and finalize the wrath of God This stands as an open rebuke to any notion that the seven vials are not descriptive of some different vision from what went before. Did those others say they were the last judgments, the final wrath, the filling up, the eschaton? Did they use any such language? No. They anticipated things yet to come. These anticipate nothing to follow them. These are not mere, these vials are not mere parallels of something that went before. They're not describing the same events. They're describing the final events. Philip Kaiser, a noted uh, post-millennialist, which I hold to as well, post-millennialism, but he is what we call a partial preterist. He believes when you read the book of Revelation, everything's pretty much in the past Till you get to the end then it's a couple years at the end everything else is before 70 AD let me ask you a question did God give his final full cup of wrath at 70 AD is that the end of God's wrath he's done that's the eschatos it's all completed no that's ridiculous that's absurd he has a chart in which he says chapter 16 and 17 the vials we're reading about were fulfilled in the late 60s AD. Oh, really? The late 60s AD, in the first century, God finished all of his wrath, and that's it? No more wrath. You know who believes that? Full preterists, heretics. They say the resurrection has already passed. The second coming of Christ is done. The wrath of God is finished. All we have now is the final state, which is what? I don't know. I get to sin all I want now there's no more judgment there's no more wrath I can live as I please which is the logical result of the full preterist position no wrath do this table till he comes no more Lord's table no more church discipline no more law of God no more commandments of Jesus all the wrath is done you see it's logical but it's satanic let us fear the wrath of God yet to come There is an eschaton, a final filling up of the wrath of God. And that was most certainly not done at 70 AD. Did 70 AD look like the final judgment? Yes. Did it operate on similar principles? Yes. Did the same God accomplish it? Yes. Are they the same thing? No. Absolutely not. God's wrath is yet to be poured out in its finality. We are living before the finality of the seven vials, in other words. Verses 2 through 4. The song of them which overcame the beast. Verse 2 says, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. Some believe this is the brazen sea and the temple being alluded to. I believe very likely it's referring to the Red Sea. When Moses sang his song, when did he do it? Upon the Red Sea. He was there looking down and they sang a hymn to God of praise to him for what he had done. Now the fire, of course, you'll recall, led the people of Israel wherever they went. There was a wall of fire that blocked off the Egyptians and then went before them and drove them on to the other side. They were covered by a cloud. They were led by the fire. A sea of glass mingled with fire, not a sea filled with impurities, but a sea of God's perfect purity, lucid and reflecting the flame of God's glorious presence. These got the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name. Remember the number 666, as Irenaeus thought, perhaps, uh, the Latinos, the Western Kingdom, that would be the Antichrist or the man of sin. These trampled upon the beast, the dragon, the seven hills, the whore Babylon, they overcame all. They overcame the kingdom of the Antichrist. And there they stand, on the sea of glass. This is a very interesting verb tense. It's a perfect participle. Having taken up their stand, in the present tense, they're constantly singing or constantly having harps. Harps of God, excellent harps. Their hearts cleared by God's Spirit And well-tuned to praise God for so great a victory as appeareth by their sweet music of praise. The Westminster annotations. Here it's alluding to those priests in the temple. They are kings and priests. They are prophets with Moses. They declare as David with the harp and as the Levites in the temple. They're singing the praise of God. Now, when it says they stand upon the sea of glass, we could think of Peter standing upon the water or our Lord standing upon the water. This is not correct. In Exodus 14, verses 16 through 27, and the following plagues will resemble what happened before this, Moses is said to have stretched out his hand with the same phrase, over the sea, not upon the sea, like he stood on top of it, He was raising it above the sea, and God caused it to split. So here, they stand over the sea. They went down into the valley, they came up on the other side, and there they sang their song. They sing this song of Moses, the servant of God, verse 3 tells us. We can read of this song in Exodus chapter 15. The content is very similar to this song. And also the song of the Lamb. Now, wait a second. The lamb is meek and mild. He represents nothing but the atonement for sins. Moses represents law and justice and punishment and thunder, right? No, that's wrong. Moses and the lamb sing the same song. The gospel and the law are sweetly complying together in God's economy, as we'll consider later. The song is the song both of Moses, God's slave, and the Son of God, the Lamb of God. They both denounce judgment on God's enemies, specifically on the Antichrist, who punishes and who comes against the people of God, just like Pharaoh did. Notice they say, great and marvelous are thy works. God is directly addressed concerning the greatness, the largeness, the weightiness of the things that he has done. Marvelous means to be wonderful, worthy of admiration, excellent according to Thayer's lexicon. And notice, not just his works, but his person. Lord, God, Pantocrator, the Almighty, the All-Ruling, the All-Powerful, the Omnipotent, as Jerome has it. To be God is to be Almighty. That's how the language runs. The God Almighty is what he's called. To be God is to have all power, to be omnipotent. And then his ways are both just and true. As he deals with the saints, as he deals with his enemies, he keeps his promises, he executes his threats. When he says he will avenge the wrong done, he will do it. When he promises salvation, he will do it. He is just and true, both in the forgiveness of sins, John says, and in the punishment of the man of sin, as he says here, thou King of saints, Lamb of God, the sole judge and lawgiver. This other king who usurps your authority will be judged. Jesus alone will be exalted. He alone is the king of saints. I note then that God is to be worshipped according to his works, his power, his Godhead his just and true ways, and his rule over his saints as king. God is to be worshipped according to his works, his power, his Godhead, his just and true ways, and the rule that he bears over his saints as king. And do you know what this is rebuking? The giving of the glory that belongs to God to what? Creatures, men, saints angels, temples, pastors, elders, popes, giving the glory to the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's what graven images means. When you give the glory downward that God says must go upward to him and him alone, not to the saints, not to the angels, but to God himself. And notice, What they say, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? Not creatures, not men, not the beast, not the dragon, not the whore, you and you alone. This is the everlasting gospel, do you recall? Chapter 14, verse 7, do you remember the preaching of the everlasting gospel? Fear God and give him glory Now, this is what we call a rhetorical question. Who shall not fear thee? Well, no one. No one struck with the awe of God's power would not fear him. Thou only art holy. Only holy. That's why. The fear of God, the glorification of his name is rooted in his unique holiness. It's the ground on which we stand to worship him. Holy ground. He is the holy God. Let us learn of God's holiness, meditate upon it, pray and strive to be holy as God is holy, and let us worship the holy God. All nations shall come and shall worship before thee. Why? For thy judgments are made manifest. We'll sing this in Psalm 9, verses 19 and 20. Arise, Lord, let not man prevail, judge heathen in thy sight, that they may know themselves, but men the nation's Lord affright. Judge them so that they might see what they really are and not worship the creature, but worship God and glorify him. All nations shall come and worship before thee. I note then this doctrine As we read of these vials, let us keep this in mind. God's judgment of the beast and the whore, the ruin of Rome, will lead to his fear, his worship, and the conversion of all nations. That's what he's saying. When God comes and judges the beast, when he brings Babylon down and burns her with fire, the mother of harlots, when that happens, what will happen next? all nations shall come and shall fear thee for thy judgments are made manifest and we'll see this in the next chapter god willing this evening when god dries up the waters of that mighty river that protected babylon the euphrates what's going to happen the kings then come to the to the savior himself god dries up the influence of the man of sin and the nations come into his kingdom verses five through eight We have the seven angels receiving the seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. This seems somewhat connected with chapter 11 verse 19 and some kind of overlap that the final trumpet, the seventh trumpet is the inauguration of the seven vials perhaps and that everything in between is an interlude between these. The seven angels came out of the temple, verse 6 tells us, having the seven plagues. These minister in God's house where he is worshipped. They pour out these plagues upon the kingdom of this false spouse, the Antichrist, the beast. That's what they're going to do, these ministers of God. They're clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. Do you remember our Lord Jesus Christ? Standing where? Among the churches. And what was he dressed in? This same thing. These are his slaves, his servants, who do his bidding, who are clothed with his righteousness, who have his golden righteousness imputed to them, and they declare his words from on high. They are ambassadors for Christ, a kingdom of priests. I note then this doctrine the troubling and overthrow of Antichrist's kingdom is by the preaching of the everlasting gospel. You remember the two witnesses that went that they killed in the streets? What did they do? They preached the word of God. And how did the beast respond? He had them killed by his followers. So now the angels will declare the message, and as we'll see in chapter 16, they will plague and curse the kingdom of the man of sin by the preaching of the everlasting gospel through the ministry of God's house, his holy temple. The church is the living God's house. It is the pillar, it is the ground of the truth. By the breath of Jesus' mouth he will waste away the man of sin and bring his kingdom to ruin. But notice God's wrath goes on forever. Verse 7 The wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. The beasts, the four beasts, they give a series of plagues, or one of the four beasts, by which God's everlasting wrath is brought down. His eschaton wrath, the fullness, the telos, the finality of his judgments upon the beast, the harlot, the city, great Babylon, all will be brought to nothing. And notice verse 8. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. Do you remember the temple being filled? What was it filled with? Well, it was filled with a cloud. You know that a cloud is not the same thing as smoke. What does a cloud bring? It brings rain and darkness. It covers over. What does smoke do? It rises up with stench and heat. What is the difference? God is now filling his house with a message of what? Judgment. There is a fire that's burning, and that fire will come and devour his adversaries. What will happen to Babylon? She'll be burned with what? Fire. Smoke in his house. The fire of judgment. The glory of God is now going to be a glory of judgment, as it was on Sinai, Exodus 19, verse 18. As Peter says concerning the judgments upon the earth at Pentecost, Acts 2, verse 19, it's the same word here for this smoke that goes up. And no man could enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. The heat, the plagues, the blood, the hail, none of them will repent. That's what we're going to find out in chapter 16. God's going to plague them, and how will they respond? blaspheme his name, curse God in heaven, and refuse repentance. Let us then receive the love of the truth. Let us learn to glorify the Lord, to fear and to worship him who alone is holy, not dividing his glory with creatures. Whether men, saints, angels, bishops, popes, or the man of sin himself, God alone is to be glorified. And thus far the exposition of Revelation 15.